Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Well, I almost died again this week for another personal sermon illustration. I'm doing this for you, I want you to know. So I filled up on gas, and I always make sure I get the receipt. I'm a receipt kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? I've got receipts that go way back. And of course, it didn't spit out a receipt. Don't you hate that? I think it's a ploy to make you go inside and buy a big slurp or something, you know what I'm saying? So I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to leave it. And I started to pull out, and I thought, no, i got to have that receipt. So I put my truck in park and jumped out, and unfortunately, the gear shift slipped into reverse. And my door hit the bollards, those poles that are protecting the gas pumps. Now I know why those poles are there. I would have taken out a gas pump. And then uh, I could have gotten caught in between there and almost tore my door off before I jumped back in and hit the brakes. It bent my door all the way against the front fender. So I tried to put it back in place, but there's still like a 10-inch gap of my door. And so I drove home trying to hold the door shut, praying God wouldn't let me, any police catch me. I want you to know it is not well with my truck, but it is well with my soul. And that's the whole point. No matter what goes on in life, no matter what disappointments we face, it can be well with our soul. There are many Bible stories that involve a literal well. Moses, Isaac, and Jacob all met their wives at a well. If somebody's single, you may want to work on that. It seems to be a real hit. Hagar and her son Ishmael, their lives were saved twice by the presence of a well. And Jesus met a woman at, at a well. Just a few examples of how these stories in the Bible play out. And there's great significance and symbolism in these wells. And so we're looking at the life of Isaac and how it figured into his life. The Philistines, which were a perennial enemy of Israel, they had stopped up all the wells that Isaac's father Abraham had dug. And so Isaac had to dig new wells of his own. However, when he tried, he tried to dig a first well and he hit water, he faced contention and conflict with the herdsmen from that place. Therefore, he moved on and dug another well, but again, he struck water, and again, he encountered opposition and hostility at that well. And so, he, again, he just moved on and left it in the hands of God, and, and after digging two wells, Isaac is undeterred, and he digs a third well. And this time, he faces no conflict or opposition, so he is able to spread out and have plenty of room for his family and his flocks. Because Isaac persisted and trusted God, something amazing happened. Yes, he he moved away, but he didn't give up trying. He continued to dig wells, and therefore God gave Isaac certain promises and assurances, and I believe that we can claim these same promises and assurances for us, because the Bible says in the New Testament that the Old Testament stories were written for our example, for us to learn from. And so these promises that God gave Isaac were these, do not be afraid. That's something we can hold on to ourselves. God is with you, and he will bless you, and he will increase. That's what we discussed last week. This is what God will do for us. However, there's something we must do for God. Many of the promises of God are conditional upon our response, our obedience. And so we need to realize that while God has promised blessing and favor 
There's something he expects from us. There's a responsibility we have in kind. It is conditional upon what we do for God. We know what God wants to do for us. He, he longs to bless. He longs to, to carry us through difficult times. But we have a responsibility as well. So let's look at our text, Genesis 26, verses 23 through 25. From there, Isaac went up to Beersheba. And that night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. And Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. So if we do not want to be afraid, we don't want to live in fear, if we long for the presence of God in our lives, and if we desire his blessings, and if we seek to increase, then we must first do certain things. Number one, we must make an altar. Our text says that Isaac built an altar there. Now like wells in the Bible, altars represent something very important and very meaningful and significant throughout the Bible. You'll see altars being built all through the Old Testament. The first person we see to ever build an altar was Noah after the flood. After the flood had come and, and everything had been wiped out and they left the ark, Noah built an altar. Let's look at that story in Genesis 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds... He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And so Noah built an altar. And he offered burnt sacrifices on it. And this was pleasing to the Lord. So first and foremost, an altar represents a place of sacrifice. Notice that the burnt offering was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And from the time of Noah, many different people built altars to the Lord. It continued on, this practice. Abraham built several altars, as did Isaac and Jacob. Moses built an altar to the Lord. Joshua, before going in to take the promised land, built an altar to the Lord. Gideon. Manoah, anybody remember Manoah? Anybody know who Manoah is? This is a good Bible trivia. He is the father of Samson. I had to look it up too, so don't, don't feel bad. Manoah built an altar to the Lord. Samuel, the great prophet, of, and even King Saul when he was serving God. David built many altars to the Lord. His son Solomon as well. And of course, Elijah on Mount Carmel, that great contest between God and Baal. And so we see that what altars represent. First and foremost, it's a place of sacrifice, a place where we give something up, a place where we release something to the Lord, something we have to offer God. But it's more than just a sacrifice. Look at this quote from Life Application Bible Notes. For God's people, altars were more than places of sacrifice. For them, altars symbolized communion with God and commemorated notable encounters with him. Built of rough stones and earth, altars often remained in place for years as continual reminders of God's protection and promises. And so when there is fear or times of discouragement, we need to return to those altars of remembrance. 
There were times in our lives where God met us in a very special way. And this is what happened in the Old Testament. When God made a promise or when he met someone in a special way, they would build an altar so they'd never forget that encounter with God. And we build altars the same way. We have experiences with God that we'll never forget. Times where he came through. And so whenever we are doubting or discouraged, we need to remember those times of, that God came through for us. Those altars of remembrance. Now if you have Facebook, you know that every now and then they'll, they'll pop up a memory that, of something you put on Facebook years ago. That can be good or it can be bad. Sometimes you look at that and go, oh, that's a terrible picture. How'd that get on Facebook all those years ago? But they have these memories that pop up and remind us. And, and when we see those memories, we think of what was going on during that time. Well, we need to build an altar so we don't forget. Not a literal altar, but, but you'll see what it means. Because it wasn't just the physical sacrifice that mattered most to God. What mattered most was the condition of the heart of the person making the sacrifice. I mean, you, know, you can go through the motions making sacrifices. And in fact, Israel did at one time. They, they were making sacrifices, but their heart was not engaged. They were not serving the Lord with their whole heart. And so it always matters what's going on inside. Whatever offering we give, whatever sacrifice we make to the Lord, it matters what our heart, the motives of our heart. It always has and it always will matter to God. Now, we don't make animal sacrifices anymore. Aren't you glad? Man, can you imagine coming to church and I'm slicing up a lamb right here in front of you and that'd be kind of wild stuff, but that's what used to happen. And, but I'm so glad Jesus came as the final sacrifice. He was the spotless lamb. There was no need for any other sacrifices, literal sacrifice of animals, because Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. And so I'm glad a part of our worship isn't cutting up animals here. If that happened, we'd probably get arrested, wouldn't we? They still do it in some countries. But God has swapped out animal sacrifice for something else. Now, one thing that we missed during COVID that was so vital and so, so missed and so desirable was Girl Scout cookies. Anybody with me? I mean, think of the things you had to go without during this last year. But now they're back. Have you noticed the Girl Scouts are back? They're in front of every store. They're selling cookies. And man, I love Girl Scout cookies. And my daughter, Jessica, loves them too. And she bought a package of Girl Scout cookies. They're called lemonades. Anybody ever bought the lemonade? I know some of you are into the mints, the mint ones and the other ones. But Jessica brought home these lemonade cookies. And boy, were they good. And in fact, they were so good, I ate the whole package and, my, and Jolene said, oh, you're in trouble now. You, you ate all her cookies. And so I actually found a Walmart brand of cookies that look similar. And I, op I stuffed them back into her original cookie bag. And she did not know that. I swapped them out. She didn't know the difference. But after they were all gone, I felt I had to confess. And I did tell her that what I had done. But she didn't even know the difference. Well, God has swapped out animal sacrifice for something else, and we can be glad, but it's not Walmart cookies. The New Testament says there is a sacrifice we are to make to the Lord that pleases him. See, don't we want to please the Lord? We do, don't we? That's our heart's cry. That's the purpose of our life, is to please God. And so there's a sacrifice we can make. It, it, it's not animals anymore. It's not a burnt offering anymore. 
God wants as a sacrifice is you and me, all of you and all of me. He doesn't want an animal. He wants us. Look at Romans 12, verse 1. Most of you know this scripture. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. There it is, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So this is what we sacrifice our very selves. This is not a burnt offering. We don't light ourselves on fire. Nobody go do that. We are a living sacrifice, not a burnt sacrifice. And even King David understood how important the heart was whenever we made a sacrifice. Even though he made many animal sacrifices that took place that day, David understood, and it's especially true in Psalms 51, where he, he had sinned with Bathsheba. He had not only committed adultery, but he'd committed murder. This is his, this great chapter in Psalms on, on repentance. And David said, God, I'd bring you burnt offerings, but at this stage, you, that's not what you want. You don't want a burnt offering. You want something else. And he said that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's what God wants. He wants our hearts, a heart that is tender, a heart that is broken, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. He wants a broken and contrite heart that we are repentant, that we are desirous of the Lord's presence in our lives, that we come to the Lord. So to overcome this fear, to feel God's presence, to, to be blessed and increased, we must also, number two, call on the name of the Lord. These two things went together often in Scripture. Someone would build an altar, and then they would call on the name of the Lord. They often went hand in hand. And so Isaac built an altar, and then he called on the name of the Lord. And this means to worship the Lord by name. This represents worship. Whereas the altar represents sacrifice, this phrase represents worship. Calling of the, on the name of the Lord is mentioned from the very earliest of times in the Bible. Look at Genesis 4, 25 and 26. Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. Remember, remember that story, Cain killing Abel. And Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is a powerful phrase. So what was going on in the earth? We had the ungodly line of Cain. He was a murderer and, and from him came many other criminals and evil. And then we had the godly line of Seth. And so there was a distinguishing between these two lines, these, these two, two sons of Adam and Eve. And so there was a group that began to call on the name of the Lord. May today be a time where we call on the name of the Lord because just as it was in the times of Noah, Jesus said it'll be in the end times. And in the times of Noah, people were wicked and violent and vile. And we see that going on in our land today. And what do we need to do? We need to call on the name of the Lord. We need to be a people who call out to God for his help, for his strength. Yes, we make the sacrifices. We lay our lives down. The Bible says we are to die daily. We're to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Jesus every day and call on the name of the Lord. And John Wesley explains this passage. He says, the worshipers of God began to distinguish themselves 
So the margin reads it. Then begin men to be called by the name of the Lord or to call themselves by it. Those that adhered to God began to declare for him and his worship and called themselves the sons of God. How many know that we are called children of God, sons and daughters of God, and we need to wear that boldly, proclaim that. We bear the name of the Lord. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you bear his name. And in this time, we need to call on the name of the Lord like we've never done before, in worship, in prayer. And we must distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world. We are to be godly and holy and righteous and not self-righteous, but a true righteousness from the Lord. And we, sh we have to come out from among them, the Bible says. Come out from among them and be separate. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're different. You live differently. Your priorities are different. Because we are called by his name. And God said, be holy because I am holy. And there's something else we must do. Number three, pitch your tent. says that Isaac pitched his tent. Now in the Bible, when someone pitched their tents, they were going to be there for a while. Now don't you love tent camping? I hate it, but uh, we still do it because it, you know, that setting up camp is the most stressful. I mean, you, you spend a week packing, you spend all day trying to set up that stupid tent that says five minutes, you can set up in five minutes, liar, liar. And, you know, you're supposed to be there relaxing and you're so tense and yelling at each other, hold the pole, hold the pole. And then you, you try, and then, you know, you have to pack up and then maybe there's a day or two in between you actually relaxed. But in the Bible, they lived in tents many times. They also lived in cities, but they often lived in tents. So when, when they pitched their tents, they were going to hang out for a while because it's a lot of work. Can you imagine the tents they had to set up back in the day? No instructions. And so we realize that there is a time to move on. In fact, Isaac did. Remember, he moved on from two different wells to a third well, and now he's, gonna even, he's even going to dig a fourth well, as we're going to see. And so he knew there was a time to move on, but there's also a time to set up tent. There's a time to establish yourself, to plant yourself. Now, when Isaac faced conflict, contention, and opposition, he had to move on. And often, the Lord will bring conflict and contention into our lives to move us out from where we are. You see, God didn't want Isaac to stay at the first well. That was not the place he had for him. He didn't want him to stay at the second well either. And even he left the third well, even though it was a spacious place, God was bringing him, driving him to Beersheba which is the place where he wanted him to be. And so sometimes the resistance that comes in your life, the opposition, it's, it's moving you out from where you are, but there are other times once God moves you, you need to plant yourself. We can't be always on the move, you know what I'm saying? I went to three different high schools in three different states. That was not fun. That was a very difficult experience, but it, it went with the job, the career my dad had in the mining business. And so that was a very difficult time to be moving so often. And there are times like that. In fact, we knew coming into ministry that often happens as pastors. You have to move quite a bit. 
But there's nothing better than when God settles you into a place and he says, you're gonna, you're gonna be here a while. You need to put down roots because I have you here for a season and a time. God only moves us on to plant us somewhere else. And God wanted to move Isaac to Beersheba because God had plans for him there. And so we need to understand we should never leave a job, leave a city, leave a church, or leave a ministry unless you are sure God is telling you to move on. And there are times for that. There are times when God moves us from where we are to another place, in church, in a job, whatever the case may be. But those are major decisions. We better have the mind of the Lord. We better have prayed this through and got wise counsel because when we make those major moves in our life, it affects a lot of, a lot of different people and it affects our future. And so that's why we need to know the will of God. We need to know the heart of God. And there the times that come where God wants us to settle, we need to settle. This was true when the nation of Judah was taken into captivity. They were conquered by Babylon, and God had prophesied through the prophet Jeremiah that they would be taken into Babylon, and they would be there for 70 years before God brought them back home. So God declared it. When he, and when people came to Babylon as exiles and captives of the Babylonian empire, some of them wanted to go back early. But God says, no, I've, I have declared and I have decreed, you're going to be here for a while. You're going to be here for 70 years. And so it, God not only said you're going to be here a while, he gave them instructions of what to do while they were there. Look at Jeremiah 29 verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Is this amazing? God says, pray for the city of Babylon. Pray for them. They were the enemy. Here they were, captives in the city. But God says, no, you need to pray for that city, because if that city prospers, you will prosper. You know, I've never understood why an employee would undermine the company he or she works for. They're, you know, they're being disgruntled and unhappy and even working against the, the, the company or the school or even the church. Because if your company prospers, you will prosper. But if your company fails, so will you. And so why, why would someone want their employer to fail? Because then it harms them as well. And why would someone want their church to fail? If you seek the peace and prosperity of the organization, you too will prosper. And if, if you seek the peace and prosperity of Bakersfield First Assembly, I believe you too will prosper and have peace. Amen? It was no fun to live in Babylon, but God had them there for a season. And so they, the Lord said these words, settle down. Now, I, we say that a lot to our young children, right? And God says it to us as well. Settle down. So I want you to think about this. This may be a word for someone today. You're seeking the Lord for direction. And this may be what God is saying to you. Settle down. 
Don't get all anxious. Don't fret. Don't worry about tomorrow. We don't know the future, what's going to happen. So where we're at right now, let's just chill, shall we? Let's just relax. Just, let's just settle down and trust God because he has us here for a while. Whatever that situation is, we may not like it, but we can bloom where we're planted. Don't get antsy and anxious because God can prosper you even in Babylon. Even in a place you don't want to be. Even in a place you want to leave. If God wants you to stay, then pray for that place. Pray for their prosperity and you too will prosper. And so after we make an altar of sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord in worship and settle down and establish ourselves, then we need to, number four, dig another well. This means number four. How many, I don't know about you, I'm tired of digging wells. I imagine they were too, because like I said, that was hard to do. They had to crack through limestone, and, and yet because... Isaac was called to settle in Beersheba for a season. God wanted him to, to establish himself and dig another well. This speaks of persistence. I want to encourage you today, if you've been struggling and you feel like you've been just stretched to the limit and you're, you're bearing discouragement or not certain of what, what you're even supposed to be doing, I encourage you to Dig another well. In other words, make a place of refreshment for yourself. Isaac had to dig his own well. We have to dig our own well. Nobody can dig our well for us. We have to have that living water from Jesus Christ ourselves. And so in your circumstances, they may not be ideal. They not, may not be where you want to be. But go ahead and plant your tent and dig a well. And find refreshing. Refresh yourself in the Lord. Because this is what God wants us to do in these times. And God wanted Isaac to plant himself there for a season. Because God had plans. In fact, we know Jeremiah 29, 11 later on says, For I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and give you hope in a future. And so we may not like where we're at, but trust God. He has plans. He has plans where you're at, and he has plans where you're going. Because that's God's heart for his people, to bless us, to give us a hope and a future. But first, we must settle down. We must build an altar and we must call on the name of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me today? If there's anyone here that has never given their life to Christ or anyone watching online, I want to give you a chance to do that. This is so important, this moment. What God has done for you. And so if you'd like to ask Jesus into your heart, or maybe you've known the Lord, but you have wandered away, you know that you're not where you belong. If you want to accept Christ today, or if you want to come back to the Lord, would you just slip up your hand? Anyone in this place, just raise your hand. Anyone at all? Yes. Anyone else? Amen. Even online, if you're watching, just raise your hand as an act of faith to the Lord. You can put it right back down. The rest of you who are believers, would you join with me in this prayer for those that are praying it for the first time? Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. Dear Jesus, I receive. I receive you into my life. 
I give you control of my life and I receive eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, please let us know because we want to send you information. We want to reach out to you and help you in your discipleship process. Would you stand with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.